No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Welcome to Talking Bass and PDX as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark and I'll be your host. I'd like to welcome everybody aboard as we get underway. On this episode, I have Flint Pierce of Battle Baits. But before we talk to Flint, let me talk to you about Talking Bass and PDX, the podcast. The podcast is all about fishing the Northwest, and if you enjoy listening, help us grow by telling your friends about the podcast and that we can be found on several platforms, including Spotify, Anchor FM, and iTunes. As we get ready for Flint Pierce of Battle Baits, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about their website and where you can shop for Battle Baits. Battle Baits can be found at BattleBaits.com. And at checkout, use the special code TALKINGBASS for a 10% discount on your purchase. Now, as I've said in earlier podcasts, I am always looking and trying to find new and different things for fishing the Northwest. And when I met Flint back in December or so, we were at a bass show that uh, they hold every winter here in the Portland area. And I could tell that he was making a very high quality, very, very good spinner bait along with other types of baits. I wanted to know more about these and found that they were handcrafted. And Flint does a very, very good job. Now, Flint also has a very interesting story on how he started Battle Baits from fishing on the south coast of Oregon to when he started the company. So let's not take any more time. Let's get right to Flint and learn more about Battlebaits. So with me today is Flint Pierce of Battlebaits. Good afternoon, Flint. How are you today? I, I'm doing great. Thank, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here and really excited to be able to share uh, the story of Battlebaits and my company and, and the growth and the journey. And on, on the podcast, my mission is to get information out to fishermen in the Northwest and Oregon and, you know, better beyond about different uh, fishing techniques and how we fish the Northwest. And when I met up with you at a couple of shows, I thought these are some really nice spinnerbaits. So, Flint, why don't you tell me about how you got started in fishing? Well, I... I uh... I, I was pretty pretty fortunate. Um, I'm from the Pacific Northwest originally. I, I actually grew up in Crescent City, California, and grew up with a, a very strong influence of saltwater fishing. And uh, used to go snapper fishing, lingcod fishing, um, almost daily during the summer. And my my dad and brothers were really big into it. It's something that for the most part, has always resonated with me. Being from that area, um, I was I was solely either near shore rock fishing uh, minded or salmon and steelhead minded. As I grew up and got a little bit older, me and my oldest brother actually kind of got into lure construction to a certain degree. Um, and and what I mean by that is is solely melting down lead and pouring some form of stick figure uh, lead fish jig that we could go out and catch snapper with. It was something that it was just always very intriguing to us. I mean, we have pictures of us at, at probably 12 years old that are spray painting tire weights in the backyard trying to come up with new fish and lures to go out and catch snapper and lingcod with. Wow, so this so this started off at a very young age then. Very young. Um, 
I, we <laughs> we had some pretty unconventional uh, unconventional methods, but we we actually had had taken at times during those very very uh, early years, probably 12, 13 years old. We started melting down lead and and carving out two by fours and pouring lead into two by fours, and and hammering scale patterns in with with claw hammers, <laughs> trying to mimic bait fish. I still share that same passion with him now. He's he, he still dabbles in it, um, not necessarily to the same extent that I do, but I, I think the the creative gene was was very present in my family and and just. There's something about making a bait and being able to catch a fish on it that it has something. It feels like it triggers something different inside of me. And ultimately, as as years passed, I I started wanting to seek different challenges, and and I got into fly fishing on the Smith River. I had the opportunity at 18, 19 years old to moved to Alaska and guide for a short period of time. I, a lot of times in my off days, it was sitting in the cabin and trying to create fly patterns that, and walking, walking creeks and small rivers in Alaska and, and pursuing dollies and uh, rainbows and steelheads in these small creeks. And, and in 2008, I had the opportunity to move to Las Vegas. Uh, which was a polar opposite change for me being in a very small town in Alaska, but my work uh, called me there. Ultimately, I moved to Las Vegas and it truly only had Lake Mead around me to go fish. And so I would go out to Lake Mead and, and I felt like I was a, a true fly fisherman at heart. And I, I would go out to those go out to that lake and, and try and pursue fish either from the bank or a very small boat with a fly rod. I ended up realizing that was a pretty ineffective way to <laughs> tackle that body of water. I, but I was never exposed to bass fishing at all. Um, there, there was nearly no bass fishing in, in northern California, the, the Crescent City area, I guess, coastal. There, there was no bass fishing gear that was sold, sold locally, and, and there really wasn't a body of water that you could go out and, and, and bass fish. Um, if we did any fishing, it was on the river or on the ocean. So I was... So how did you get involved with bass fishing? Well, my, uh, I have an uncle and two cousins that live in Missouri. Um, uncle lives in Kansas, but... Um, the majority of my roots and, and family are in the Midwest. I was very, very fortunate to have a have a very good relationship with them growing up to where uh, we just talked on the phone constantly. They were very involved in bass tournament fishing. And it always intrigued me. I never understood it because I'd never been there and subjected to it, never had the opportunity to compete in it or or actually see it live, but I, I would I would talk to them, or I'd hear from my dad about my cousins and uncle traveling around doing these fishing tournaments. It just always seemed like it was it was so cool that people were actually out competing fishing. And so 
I was I was very blessed when I was in Las Vegas to have some very affordable flights to Branson, Missouri, get to go out and spend some time with my cousins. And I did that three or four times, and was that was really the first time that I was ever had the opportunity to experience a, a bass tournament. Uh, early morning blast off and the competition side of it. I, I I grew up in athletics. the The ability to still compete was just something amazing to me, and I couldn't believe the level of competition and dedication that these guys all still had very much like golf or anything else. It's a sport that you can do forever, not like football and basketball to where (laughs) your health is, is dictated on whether or not you can continue to do it necessarily. And so it was, it was something that lining up at a takeoff at, um, at on table rock Lake, was lit a fire inside of me that I felt like we were getting ready to to kick off on a football game. I, I from that point forward, I just knew that man, this is this is something that I have to be involved in. That I immediately wanted to start practicing. I wanted to start getting more involved. And um, my my cousins um, played a huge role in that. And I would. They were very encouraging, very knowledgeable. They they helped me get going from my first bass setups to how to identify structure and 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 read fish and and this was not necessarily pre YouTube days, but I mean there wasn't a lot of content at that point in time that was being necessarily pushed on on social media. So getting out and learning opposed to sitting on your couch and watching videos was something that you just kind of had to do at that point in time and, and still true to today, but I, I took the skills that I, I'd kind of been exposed to in Missouri and brought them back to Las Vegas. Oh, so you, were you able to start fishing bass out in the, out in Las Vegas then? I, I was, and that was that was really the first time that I kind of had to learn and figure anything out for myself. I signed up for a club in Las Vegas as as a non-boater and had the opportunity to fish just randomly with with draw um, events with boaters, and I couldn't believe, at least subjected in in Las Vegas, I couldn't believe how quickly my baits were falling apart. And, and a lot of that was due to the heat, but I would go buy a, a set of jigs um, or spinner baits or whatever. And, and just by laying on the deck of the boat, by the end of the day, the majority of them were falling apart. I would take those, take those baits at the end of the tournament, I would go back home and I would take all the loose skirting material and components that had fallen apart. I would take my salmon steelhead tying kits and begin tying them back together. Essentially, that's that's how it really all began. You know, I would I would take these baits that had completely deteriorated on on the deck of the boat the the week prior and mix colors or just 
repurpose them and tie them back together and, and bring them out for the next event, I, I started being able to fish in these boats with these guys that were saying, man, where where'd you get that jig? Where'd you get that spinnerbait? Who makes that? that so I would tell them the story that, you know, I, I went home and I took my fly tying vice and all the baits that had fallen apart last week, I started tying back together. Uh, it, it really truly started at that point in time where a couple tournament guys that were in this club said, well, let me, let me get you some skirting material and I need you to tie these because I can't find anything that's going to stay together. That was, it was at, really at that point in time that it, it started transitioning, I guess, from um, more of something I was doing solely to ensure that I was going to have a bait that was available by the end of the day to being able to sell them. Um, but uh, it, during those early years, it was it kind of sparked that same fire that I had when I was a kid, hammering on pieces of lead. It, there, there's something extremely fulfilling, rewarding about being able to create something and get bit on it. So, well, it, it, it's what it's, a unique story to combine <laughs> salmon fishing with bass fishing because there's a lot of times where you know salmon fishermen stay salmon fishing and warm water people stay stay doing warm water. So. It's a, it's a great story as to how you're crossing over. So now you're tying these uh, baits, custom baits, basically for tournament people. Is that about the time that you moved back to Oregon? Uh, well, I, I think that, I mean, this is any any form of bait building and any I, any art, I think, I think to a certain degree is going to take a substantial amount of time to truly be able to master um, I, I had probably from that first period of time to the point I'm at now is has been about 12 years. I moved back to Oregon about eight years ago. Um, me and my wife just really wanted to be in the Pacific Northwest, have an opportunity to raise our kids up in this in this area and have them have the same opportunities that we had growing up. So it was important. We we found ourselves in Medford, Oregon. It was. I kind of started over the, the same way that I had started in Las Vegas, getting involved in small clubs, um, just meeting people and outreaching that way, networking and and and, and truly the, the actual construction and the evolution of the baits, I should say, ha, has been a a, a pretty long um, <laughs> series of time. The the company as a whole, is it, for the most part, has always operated off of do-it products. Probably for the first eight years has all been it, it, taking the, the notion that it, the, the availability of being able to go out and, and buy a do-it product and modify it to fix whatever issues were, were seen in that product was something that I had had kind of taken on, so I, I would I would take a jig or a spinnerbait or whatever type of mold that I'd come across through either welding or other forms of modification. I would try and take that bait, transform it into something that the market hadn't seen, I guess. So the the modification 
side of it is is what I had truly mastered, I guess. Whether it be it, you know, the ability to use better components, um, wire keepers, um, opening up eye sockets for for larger eyes, or just to be able to hear a lot better. But I was trying to fix a lot of the issues that I thought that I'd come across when when operating with duet molds. So originally, then you're modifying other other lures. Then is that, how, is that what you're uh, what you're saying? Yes. Um, so, so the do-it molds are, are are pretty readily accessible um, throughout the industry. Most larger um, sporting goods stores will have a selection of them, and and being able to grab a football jig or a swim jig or some form of a spinnerbait mold and take it and say, well, man, I'd I'd love it if they had changed this wire degree, or I'd love if they had made a more compact bait given this profile or had used a better hook or a different eye placement that would provide a wobble. So a lot of that time was me sitting in the garage with a Dremel, ripping through these aluminum molds, trying to make a better mousetrap with what was provided. Ultimately, it was, it was a lot of fun. It taught, it taught me a lot about the baits, a lot about movement, balancing, through through in doing those modifications, and ultimately it, what had kind of happened over the progression of time was um, now with the availability of the internet and being able to advertise online and and show baits nationally, a lot of these other smaller lure manufacturers would see the modification that I, I that I would do and say, "Well, I've never I've never seen that bait like that." It's a great idea. So they would recreate that same modification. It, it was very timely, but it, but by no means rocket science um, to to take a mold, lay it in, and and rework it to to fit a certain cavity. So I was I was just very frustrated for years and years of, of trying to stay ahead of the industry within a custom lure capacity while still operating with the limitations of, of do-it molds. And so uh, over the course of the last couple of years, I, I just really took a good, long, hard look at, um, at the company, and I've been extremely fortunate with the, the support of my customer base, and I just decided, you know what, I'm going I'm to fix all the issues that I've ever ran into and I'm going to design everything off the of drawings. So I, over the course of the last two years, I've completely revamped and relaunched Battle Baits with everything being with my designs. I've all started with, with drawings that I've come up with and, and concepts, working them out through 3D printers and prototyping processes, different hook variations and sizes, and being able to produce something that um, is completely different that the industry hasn't necessarily seen. Let's flip the package over and look at 
battle baits a little closer. They're based in the clear waters of southern Oregon. Battle baits set out to recreate the industry of match-the-hatch patterns. With a background in fly fishing and a love for bass fishing, Flint Pierce took to his tying vice to create patterns that would change the way we see our bait. All battle baits are handcrafted and detail-oriented, which results in the best American-made tackle in the industry. The Talking Bass and PDX podcast would like to thank you for choosing battle baits. You can find battle baits at battlebaits with an s.com. Battle baits is offering a special 10% discount on your order when you use the code Talking Bass. Let the battle begin. And now back to the interview. Oh, and I've seen a couple of your spinner baits that you have copied colors, and this was this was a pretty difficult, from what I understand, of really good crankbaits. And so they're they are really really nice looking. At this point, though, <laughs> uh, battle baits. At this point, battle baits. Why don't you give your contact information, website? I know your website's being hit like crazy, but uh, let's add a few more people to it. So. Go ahead and give everybody your, your contact information. Absolutely. Um, Battlebaits.com um, is the website. What, one thing that um, I want to say with that, it, I'm, I also am very blessed to be a father of, of three young boys. I have two five-year-olds, a seven-year-old, and, and work another full-time job. Battle baits and, and the website, to me, one of the best things about that is that everything I have on the website is available, built, uh, in stock, and ready to ship. I, it, especially in the bass fishing world, I'm getting a lot of calls at, at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night, and the guy has to leave for a tournament on Friday. Hey, I have to have this in, and and the availability, I guess. Um, or or chaos at times, I should say, of, of my personal life doesn't give me the opportunity to drop everything and, and walk out in the garage and, and build a custom bait for somebody. So I, I've tried to open this website and, and stock a, a very diverse and significant amount of color patterns and weights to have in stock and ready to ship. And I, I think that being able to to drop those in the mail the same day or the next day after those orders is, is a huge thing. I'm I'm not somebody that's going to sell something or um, promise to sell something if I don't have it built. <laughs> and that solely is a result of um, kind of the, the chaos of, of my life at, at times. I also have an awesome Instagram page, um, battle underscore baits, post a lot of really nice content on there. Uh, Battle Baits on Facebook is, is, a, is a great social media forum. If you get on there, there's people posting nearly daily um, in regards to their own testimonials and, and how they've fished certain baits and the success that they've had on it. And, and, and Battle Baits truly, I mean, I, I got to put this out there because it, it Battle Baits is really only, I, everyone likes to to tell me that, well, man, you're the mastermind behind this whole thing. But I, I think truly the only success that I've had has been as a result of being willing to listen to my customer base and and the serious anglers that are out there. I mean, there's so many guys out there that either don't have the means to create a new bait or necessarily the desire 
but I've, I've had I've formulated some awesome relationships through my social media platforms. And when I'm building a bait, when I'm building a spinnerbait or a, or a jig or um, a swim bait head, I, I ask these guys and say, what do you think, what, what's your ideal hook? What's your ideal um, head? And they say, it's, it's this one from this company, but I don't like the shank length. I don't like the keeper system. I think that it needs a flat bottom so that in the event you want to slow roll or kill the bait, you're going to have that bait profile not roll while it's on the side of the on the on the bottom, and still be able to be picked up, and and being able to take those with an open mind and start constructing a jig that is truly going to be a little bit different. Um, take a lot of the components from the best builders in, in the world and in the industry and formulate hybrid products that are fixing those issues. Well, and that's, uh, that's the one thing that drew me to, to talk to you is the, the fact that you're doing a premium bait that when a fisherman goes out there, especially a tournament person, they're going to know that that thing is going to hold up throughout the day and probably on into, you know, a, a tournament or two before it starts to wear. Now, can you I, kind of I, give me a rundown? Oh, go ahead. No, no I, that, that, is, that is exactly it. And, you know, there's, through the, through the evolution of, of growth in, in the company, it, I, I get approached with that a lot. Well, hey, how are you going to be able to scale up to keep up with inventory? I mean, I get de- emails daily about when are you going to have this back in stock or when are you going to have this back in stock. There's ways for me to do that, I guess, to a certain degree. But at this point in time, um, scale is not necessarily important to me. The ability to know that I control every product that, that leaves my shop and that I have my hand on painting every single one of them, ensuring that they're durable, assuring that the eyes are set correctly, assuring that the skirt is is, is tied correctly and in the correct pattern and, and sealed off. I, I, I have absolutely no um, desire to try and change my construction methods to meet any industry demands at this point in time. I... I've, I've been very blessed, and, and and I can't say that enough. And, and I, as a result, I've been able to construct a pretty phenomenal product. But if I have to be lower in stock to produce a better product, I'm, I'm willing to do it. <laughs> I, I just I don't want to I don't want to appeal to to everybody. I want I want to appeal to the guys that say, man, this is I need a I need a premium product that I know that I'm going to go out and I'm going to fish for a year, two years that is going to hold up. I mean, there is, there is baits obviously like football jigs or dragon jigs that your anticipation is to literally just drag them through the rocks and in the, in the gorge at the Columbia, the likelihood of losing those baits over the course of a year is very high, regardless of their weedless capabilities. It's the nature of the beast of throwing it into jagged rock, but, Spinner baits, moving baits, swim jigs—you're not going to lose them as much. You know, I'm I'm fishing spinner baits <laughs> even as as early as last week that I constructed four years ago. 
And keep in mind that we're talking about very, very early uh, in the fishing season. So yes. that's that's really good to know. Now, you know, when you're when you're talking about throwing baits out on the Willamette or you're throwing them in the the Columbia, remember that there's a lot of basalt down on the bottom there, and you're absolutely right. If you're going to throw a uh, a jig head or something of that nature on the on the bottom, you've got to be ready to either try to unhook it or you're going to lose a uh, a few baits along the way because the basalt's going to going to catch it, and there's there's not much you can do there. Can you give me a rundown of some of the baits that you're that you're making? Absolutely. So one thing that, uh, at, at least currently, I've been able to, I really tried to attack the entire water column. Um, I, I, I make everything from buzz baits, um, attacking the top water column, um, spinner baits. I've been working for about the last 18 months on a new bladed swim jig. I it, which I, I feel like is going to be um, a very, very productive bait. I'm, I'm just trying to ensure that I'm not stepping on any any patent toes. And also when I release that bait, that there's some coverage um, for that bait as well, um, some legal protection. Um, and that's in the works and should hopefully be released soon. But I, I do have a the spinnerbait lines um, – the darker water, colder water, larger blades, thumping, um, create more movement and vibration in the water style blade designs, as well as a willow leaf covering a lot of water, burning them quicker, more of a search bait style. And a whole array of jigs um, with a flipping brush jig, um, hidden eye concept, being able to search and, and flip heavy vegetation um, and remain relatively weedless. I also have a swim jig design, which I, I don't personally fish a, a ton, but it's a huge seller in the Midwest and the South and the East. And I have a lot of guys um, kind of across across the country that are very fond of the swim jig design. Probably my Pacific Northwest most uh, ideal bait is what we refer to as a Ned jig. It, it is a very compact, small profile jig that was based on the same concept head design as, as a Ned rig. It just pre- presents, you know, less than a three-inch profile when teamed with a really small crawdad trailer for the smallmouth and the Willamette and the Columbia and down in Southern Oregon where I fish, uh, Shasta, um, Immigrant, Applegate, very clear water bodies, um, high mountain reservoirs. Those, those smallmouth and, and spotted bass and a lot of the largemouth that reside in those reservoirs are, are pretty finicky. So my personal opinion, um, at least when you're finesse fishing, I, I think profile has a big um, bearing on on your on your bites, line size as well. So th- that is probably the most um, geared bait, I, I guess, for the Pacific Northwest. 
but the spinnerbaits um, have caught a lot of traction in the Northwest as well uh, with the availability of the hand tied process that we were discussing. When you're tying with thread opposed to wire or a banding system, uh, you, that process allows you the availability to actually lay skirting um, patterns very effectively and, and when you're tying them they stay in place. So your ability to create a rainbow trout with the skirt actually transitioning um, and portraying that pattern is, is very, very high. And those baits just truly aren't very readily available. And the ones that are out there, I don't think, do a very good job of representing that forage. And the, moving forward, i got a lot of swim bait patterns. I'm a, I'm a big believer in swim bait fishing. I throw a lot of swim baits for smallmouth and, and there's a lot of guys up in the Columbia that are now throwing them for walleye. So um, it, it, it's it's pretty awesome. You have to get on battlebaits.com, um, check them out. There's there's a very wide variety of uh, of baits available. And and one thing w with my construction, um, I'm I'm starting with a, a blank piece of lead. So if someone gets a hold of me and says, hey, can you match this with a P-mouth chub for the Willamette River for the Columbia because this is our forage, and then they shoot me a picture, I, I, I love the ability to take that and say, let's do it, and I match their plastic that they need to throw and really be able to present them with something that is going to match that forage and, and provide them with extra confidence when, when they're on the water. Wow, that that is a, some great information. Now, I've been perusing the website, part of us talking, and there are some uh, there are some jigs, and then of course your your uh, Ned head type uh, hooks that you have that I can't wait to get my hands on them yet, because because we fish a lot of that up here in the Portland area. And so I can't I can't wait for this uh, another month or so so I can get out and start uh, start trying some of these. You know I hope that everybody will get on the website and uh, and put their order in. Now do you take phone calls or you want people just to order right off of the website? They they can absolutely call me text me. Um, as as many of the guys know I'm. I'm I'm a nocturnal graveyard worker during the week, um, but it doesn't bother me at all. If I'm around my phone, I'll answer. I absolutely love hearing people's stories, and, and I, I think that it's important. The, the establishment of relationships, and, and truly, like I said, that's, that's been the only reason that my company's had the opportunity and the chance to grow and, and grow in the direction that it has is because the next person that calls me and, and tells me, hey, this is the bait that I'm using. This is how it needs to be changed. And if it changes this way, it's going to change the industry. I, I, I'm not a I'm not a, a Columbia fisherman by by any or Portland metro area fisherman, uh, nor am I claiming to be a, a Lake Mead fisherman. And, and the guys that are out there doing it every day and grinding are the ones that truly know what needs to be changed. I. I, I get very set in my, my ways down here in southern Oregon, whether it's a high mountain reservoir or a local pond that I get to fish with my boys. I see what needs to change within certain baits that I'm fishing at those places, but 
truly for a company to grow, you need to open your mind and, and check your pride and be willing to step out of your comfort zone and, and trust some of those individuals that are out there in those areas being successful. Well, the other thing, too, that I wanted to mention uh, as we were getting into the interview and getting through it was uh, not only is it a high-quality year, but if folks are ordering from you, especially up here in the Northwest, uh, they're buying local. And so we're actually putting some money back into the state. So I want to encourage everybody to get on your website and and order uh, some of the lures. Also, uh, there's a, a a situation coming along where uh, Cabela's, both in Eugene and in uh, Tualatin, are going to be buying local. So if uh, someone wants to buy your baits, uh, I hope that they will go into Cabela's and say, hey, we want to buy local. Uh, can you put some of these in the store for us? So I, I, I hope that that will, uh, that the podcast listeners will also ask for uh, for local type type manufacturers. I I, so I completely you? agree. Well, thank so, thank you so much for this opportunity, and and uh, thank you for everyone that does that. I mean, it, it really means a lot, and I, I think that for years and years all of us in the Northwest or, or all of us that have, have ever walked into a tackle store have kind of experienced that, that same frustration that you walk in and, and you see a package of baits and you think, holy smokes, this, is, this would be great if I was in southern Florida, but I live in the Pacific Northwest. Why do they have it here? And to be able to bring that, that classification or, or specialty to the Northwest would, would be an honor to me um, to be able to provide that service here. Well, I'd like to thank you for being uh, being a guest. Now, one more time, the uh, name of the uh, website? Battlebaits.com. Perfect, Clint. Hey, this has been great. I appreciate you stopping by, and uh, we will see you on the podcast again. Thank you so much. I, I very much appreciate it. I had a great time. Again, I'd like to thank Flint Pierce for stopping by of Battle Baits and telling us about his high-quality baits. Just as a reminder for Talking Bass and PDX listeners, if you stop at the BattleBaits.com website, use the promo code TALKINGBASS for a 10% discount on your purchases. For show ideas or feedback, email me at PDX at gmail.com. And until next time, I'd like to thank everybody. This has been Don Clark, Talking Bass in PDX, and I'll see you on the Backcast.